Welcome, everyone, to the sixth installment of the National Links Trust podcast. Our guest for this episode is a talented rising professional golfer from the Washington, D.C. area, Marcus Bird, who already has a couple wins on the APGA Tour and learned how to play the game at none other than Langston Golf Course right here in Washington, D.C., one of the three that National Links Trust is the leaseholder of. Marcus shares his story with both myself and a guest co-host for the episode, Lenard Long. Lenard's a peer of Marcus's and former Division I golfer himself at Morehouse University, who's also a native of Washington, D.C. We dive into Marcus's upbringing within golf at Langston, his success throughout junior golf, even his father's driving range in Prince George's County, just outside of D.C., and then how his career progressed onto a successful college career at Middle Tennessee State and is now competing and winning on professional golf circuits. Before we get to the podcast conversation, personally, I'd like to thank and congratulate the team at National Links Trust for a successful and, and really fun symposium on municipal golf, which took place just a few few weeks ago since our last podcast. I had the privilege of attending and taking part in the event and was thoroughly impressed, not just with the all the panels and speakers, but all the discussions and people I got to meet over the course of those three days around the future of municipal golf. And it was both refreshing and exciting to hear all these unique voices from across golf's landscape come together and talk about ways this game can grow and the future of golf and communities across the country. I already can't wait for next year's event. And when that comes, certainly encourage anybody and everybody to try to attend if possible. This episode of the National Links Trust podcast is again brought to you by the NLT online shop. The shop has a full collection of NLT merchandise, including hats, polos, uh, layering pieces, prints, a bunch more. They're popular rowback hoodies are currently selling well, so I suggest you hop on those. And then starting on Black Friday and running through uh, Cyber Week the following week, they'll have a number of sales and discounts running. So if you're not already, be sure to check out their social media channels or sign up for their newsletter to learn more about these deals. As a reminder, 100% of the proceeds from the shop do benefit National Links Trust, their mission, and their work in Washington, D.C. So visit shopnlt.com to get your gear today and continue to help support municipal golf this holiday season. Let's get to the conversation and the podcast with Marcus Bird. Golf on its face is not the most welcoming game. We need to provide opportunities for people to feel comfortable at the golf course, to ask questions, to learn, and to meet new people. And I think that's a big part of what we're trying to do at National Links Trust. We're here with the National Links Trust podcast. I'm your host, Alex Dixon. And uh, before we get to our guest, I got a co-host with me today, uh, Mr. Lenard Long. Uh, how are you, Leonard? Absolutely great. Glad to have Marcus on here. Been a good friend for a while, so happy to share his story with the world. Absolutely, and that is our guest. Our guest is up-and-coming professional golfer and D.C. area native Marcus Bird. How are you, Marcus? Doing great. Thank you guys for having me. So we're, we're going to jump into a bunch of stuff. And uh, first off, Lenard, thank you for being the co-host. And, and, uh, and you're the, kind of the perfect co-host for this conversation uh, because a lot of uh, what we're going to talk about, Marcus, is, is his kind of upbringing in golf in the D.C. area, but specifically at Langston Golf Course, which for 
listeners of my other podcast, Bellway Golfer, Lenard was actually a, a guest on my show about a year ago when he was doing some work with the First Tee of Greater Washington, D.C., and we did the podcast at Langston Golf Course. Let's start off. So, Marcus, you're out in L.A. right now, and you just competed in a tournament in Los Angeles as part of the APGA Tour. But you've already got a couple wins under your belt on the APGA Tour and another tour this year, right? Yeah, so uh, it was um, for a while. I had a I had a stretch going where I didn't I didn't win one. I was just finishing in second. Finally got it done this September, and then um, the week after uh, I won again, and then the week after I lost in the playoff for three in a row. So it was it was a, it was a hot streak going for a minute. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think when I uh, when we were doing some of the stats this past weekend. I think out of 13 events, I had 11 top 10s, five, eight top threes, five runner-ups, and one win this year on the tour. So it was it was pretty solid. Just didn't really get it done, but it's still a good year. That's pretty impressive. And and so for the listeners that that may not, you know, after this podcast, they're gonna know a lot more about Marcus Bird if they don't already. But for folks just tuning in, how old are you, Marcus? And and how long you've been uh, competing in professional golf? Uh, I'm 25 years old. I turned pro at the end of 2020, so I've been a pro for coming up on two years now. Went to Middle Tennessee State. I stayed in AM actually for this that summer after in 2019, and also the summer of 2020 because of COVID. So, uh, yeah, it kind of delayed my transition into the professional golf career, but it's been it's been a blast so far. It's been definitely been a grind uh, being on the road all the time, but. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm definitely, I'm still learning a lot of stuff and still going to a lot of new places. So it's been it's been cool. It's been really cool. So, Marcus, what's like the biggest thing you've learned so far, being on these tours? Just managing your time and and understanding every shot counts. I think a lot of people, especially younger guys growing up, you know, they tend to get down on themselves pretty quick. Or you know, attitudes always. Uh, a huge factor out here especially you know the only two things you can control is your attitude and your effort so uh you got to come out here and understand that you're not going to have your best stuff every week but you got to make money so you got to make you and you got to make what happens happens <laughs> where is home base for you right now marcus uh it's still dc uh, i spend a lot of time in the dc area yeah and um I kind of go back and forth. My mother lives in Atlanta, so I kind of spend some time in that area as well. Just when i kind of on the road in the southeastern region, I make sure I stop by there. It's easy to fly out of that airport, so I spend a lot of time in those two places right now. Let's rewind. Let's, let's go back to the beginning and kind of go through uh, your journey here in golf. You know, one of the main reasons we wanted you on the National Links Trust podcast is, you know, Certainly, your DC area upbringing, but where you learned how to play golf. So why don't we why don't we start off like you know, how did you get into golf? Where where did you grow up, and what got you into golf in the first place? Yeah, so um, my dad, he uh, he, I was a little bit younger. I came a little bit later than all my brothers, so uh, he kind of picked up the game late. It was something that he kind of had the itch for, and uh, I don't know. I was just two or three years old, and I just remember getting a set of plastic gloves and going out there with them and uh as time went on you know as i got to an age where i can start to understand he started bringing me out to langston so i can go play with him and kind of hang out with his friends and i had to bend no more than six or seven years old but that's one of the first places that i learned how to uh how to putt how to chip how to um 
it's one of the first lessons I ever got was uh, from up there. So it's just crazy just to see uh, see the growth and see the progression that has been. But yeah, it all started right there at Langston Golf Course. So your dad, was he a big golfer? He played up there a lot? Yeah, man. My dad, uh, especially later on in his years, he was definitely a big golfer. That was his thing. Soon, anytime he could book a tee time, he was there. And uh, yeah, that was his thing. He loved to gamble. He loved to, he loved to play some people. So they had their group, man. It was the same 20 guys every other day. Like that would just go out there and play. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So when he would bring you up to Langston, you're saying you're six or seven years old. Would he bring you out on the course with him and play, or would he just sit, would he like you know drop you off at the putting green and say, "Hey, keep yourself busy while I go play nine holes in my vice"? You know, it depends on what I wanted to do, honestly. Like I was never uh, when when you walked inside those gates at Langston, you had free reign. I mean, they, I would I mean I would see family members up there, cousins, best friends, uncles. It's just. It was one of those places you can't go wrong once you get up there. So it's either you want to come out here and play some golf, or you can stay up here and practice, do whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> that was kind of that was kind of the thing. Is like we had, dude, we got a 150 yard like radius of chipping green, got a huge putting green. Like I mean, for a kid, it was like being in a candy store. You, didn't, I didn't have to go anywhere else. So it was like I like going on the golf course to like hit shots, but like. Dude, I had everything I needed to, like, occupy my time. I had friends. I had facilities. I had food when I needed it. All I had to do was walk up. And that food. If I, did, if I didn't have it, somebody had it for me. Somebody was going to get it. So it was it was cool, bro. Like, it was, it was truly like a family place. It really was. So when did you start taking it, like, serious? Like, I'm trying to get good at this. I felt like I've always had, like, a... I've always wanted to be good at every sport, I feel like, right? I think when I got to middle school and kind of started getting to high school is when I felt like I had a chance to actually play, like, after high school. Like, because that was never really, like, a thing, right? Like, I never I never thought about getting a, a scholarship to go play golf. Basketball was my first passion, right? All three of my brothers played basketball. So that was kind of what I was gearing towards. And... uh Dude, I, I finished second in my state championship my freshman year of high school, and I was leading after the first day. So it was kind of like at 14, you know, I was just at this point, like I had a coach, but I didn't really understand like how good I was yet, right? Like I didn't know because I wasn't, I was just playing in little tournaments in Maryland, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything to where, you know, you really feel like, okay, if you take this serious, you can, you can play at a high level. And I know you said you played in states, but what are the what are what are some of the other tournaments that you played in while you're in this area? Oh man, I played in the Maryland Junior Amateur when I was I want to say I had to have been 13. I think I won the 13 under division. Dave McCarthy won it. The uh, he actually won it at Argyle that year, like the um, for the older guys. Yeah. But I had won the Junior Am, like the the, the lower division, and then. I will play in the Bobby Bowers. That's in Springfield, Virginia. The Bobby Gorin made it to the finals in the Gorin back-to-back years. Lost that. <laughs> Quite a few, though, man. I remember back in the day, we had this thing called the Capital Area Golf Tour. It was ran by a buddy of mine. Buddy of mine's dad. His name was Jackson Lazardo. Like, he started a tour, gave us a platform to play some really good golf courses. Uh, dude, it was just it was affordable like it was something that we all could do to get better like uh, i mean that was one of the first times that i actually got a chance to play like on a tour and 
see good players, and that's how I qualified for the Junior World Championship out in San Diego. So that, that what, was... What uh, age yeah. that? Dude, I what qualified that for that. Qualified? I qualified for that when I was 10 years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. When did you? I mean, because ten. I'm just thinking these eight. Like, <laughs> you made a you made a jump from like your dad bringing you Langston when you're like six or seven to all yeah, of a sudden you're quali- qualifying and finishing well in junior tournaments just three four years later. Did at some point in there your dad hire a coach and say, you know, I see some talent in my son and and start taking it seriously? Yeah, like I actually I went to a guy like once every every two weeks. His name was Terry Schaefer. He was at a course called Potomac Ridge, and. I think my dad said that he he started to see like in some of like just some junior set clubs that I had he started to see a little flex like I started to get a switch like I started to actually form some sort of a uh, technique just watching and learning just being hands on and uh, he was like yeah you want to get better we can go go to this guy up here and uh, Terry's been my coach or he's been somebody who I've worked with ever since been an awesome guy he. Uh, really ahead of his time and his teaching really a lot of stuff that he was teaching back then is what coaches are trying to teach now and a lot of people didn't like it back then you give us an example of what you mean by that dude i, I i've had a bowed wrist since i've learned how to swing a golf club <laughs> and so it's like when i was growing up everybody wanted a cupped wrist everybody wanted their wrist cupped everybody wanted to come down the same plane everybody wanted you to kind of zero out at the bottom but like he was the first guy to tell me yeah dude i want you to bow your wrists i want you to get a big turn and i want you to just let your hips go as fast as they can and that's like and that was one of the huge reasons why growing up i hit the ball so much further than a lot of other kids was because i just got a chance to use my athletic ability growing up in dc i primarily played at east potomac but those guys over at langston always kind of gave me nightmares and it was it was about like how many of them, of them there were. There were so many good golfers, young junior golfers, at Langston at one time that it was completely amazing. And they go, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were out there on Saturdays under the Jimmy Garvin program, and actually you guys had the chance to travel abroad um, and play in other countries. If you could talk a little bit more and listen about that. Yeah, bro, like that was like, that was a crazy time period. Like that was when I remember like what really what really let me know I need to do this like kind of for a living. So it was around the same time, right? Like I had to be about twelve years old when they kind of started this. Well when I was actually able to start going. So we at first it was just go to Florida. We went to West Palm Beach. And that was like uh that was an event. How many so how many would, kids how many kids is that? He would take close to eight or ten kids. As many and these like, are all... that, that really wanted to go. Like, if you were there and you played golf every day and those people knew you at Langston, you were getting on that flight. Like, there was just, if you were a kid, they didn't want you to feel like you were left out. They didn't want you to feel like you weren't good enough. They took as many kids as they could everywhere we went. So that was what was crazy. And these are all these are all minority kids. These are all primarily black kids that are from Langston oh, yeah. growing up. In that in that area, yeah, exactly. It was one of those places, man. We would we would get there, and uh, you just had a home, bro. Like it was a, it was genuinely a place where you felt like you can get here, and no one's gonna judge you. No one's gonna ask you what are you doing out here. It was a place where we all felt like we could get better every day, and we genuinely wanted to. And Jimmy, I don't know how he, you know, he he just he was one of those guys, man, who who went above and beyond, bro. Like really 
he did everything he could to make sure that we had the tools early on. And he took, like I said, he took us to Florida, uh, St. Lucia, uh, Bahamas. I don't think he took us to Jamaica, but no, he took us to West Palm. And like those places, like, dude, like as a 12 year old kid, 13 year old kid, I've never been to anything like that in my life. So, and then there were kids on our team who were 16, 17, 18, who had never seen anything like that in their life. So it was just, uh, it was an eye opener for me that this is what I want to do for a living. Even if I don't make it playing professional golf, I want to be able to show kids what this is. Like I want other people to, to smile the way I smiled for those years and watching that, bro. Like that was like a, that was a time to be alive. It really was, bro. It was insane. Yeah, I think the coolest thing about that program is it really gave you guys like a tangible golf can take you to so many places at an early age, right? Yeah. So like just yeah. to just to input that at 11, 12, like I just feel like the reason you guys were so good at that age was because all you guys saw, oh, like, oh, we're going out to state. Like when, when else do I get to do that? And, and it's golf, like. <laughs> Not everybody in my school plays it, so I'm the only one. But look, like I'm going here, like everybody else is going here, and I just saw that drive in all of your eyes, and and then the bond of you guys just all playing together and just trying to beat each other's brains in, but then just trying yeah, to love dude. each other after it is just like it's a blessing to get that experience at such a young age and with people that look like you in this game that you know really doesn't. But Jimmy Garvin, just to clarify, so Jimmy Garvin, for those that don't know, I mean, he, he's been a, a huge piece of the Langston golf course story for, for many years. I know he's still involved with Golf DC. I know he's spending a lot of his time up at Rock Creek. Um, but, like, what was, was at, at the time, was he, like, running Langston? Was he, like, the pro there? Like, what, you, know, what, you know what his role was? He was the GM, if I'm not mistaken. It was his show over there. And, uh,. Everything ran through Jimmy. If you ever had a problem, if you ever had a question, Jimmy was the guy who handled it. But, um, dude, he was, he was like I said, he was a hands-on guy, man. Like, he wanted the best for us. And he, he showed us what it took, bro. Like, it wasn't like he was crazy good at golf. It wasn't like he was, you know, it wasn't like he was walking around with millions of dollars in his pocket. Bro, he was just a normal guy who showed us like we just he, he was cool like he was something that we could look up to and say we could get a job in golf or we can get an education and make money through golf and not have to you know make it on the pga tour and he gave us that opportunity like we had our own we had our own office space like if we didn't if we didn't have a computer or if we didn't have like a the necessities at home or if the just our environment at home wasn't good enough for us to get our schoolwork done. We had a place to come to at Langston where we can get on a computer and do homework and get a tutor. Like it was, it was a, it was a place like that. I felt like was very overlooked and, you know, for, for that time and, and what people are doing now. And it's just looking back at it. I mean, that's the blueprint, what he did for us growing up and like what he did for us as juniors coming up at Langston. I mean, I can name more kids who came out of that program who went on to get degrees than I can guys who didn't make it. And they just wanted us to, you know, just show that, you know, discipline. Like, really, that's all it boiled down to was just giving us structure, showing us what a routine looked like and showing us what the real world is going to look like. So it was it was kind of crazy looking back on it. We had no idea, right? Like, when you're 12, 13, 
you think these people are just out to get you. Why are you trying to make me do schoolwork? Why are you <laughs> like, why are you making me come in here and talk to these people? But in all actuality, bro, like it was the best thing ever. Man. That's why like y'all were just so good. Cause this is like, y'all just found a home. Like, and y'all would just be there. Y'all would just go like, no matter, hop yeah. off the bus with your clubs and, and just go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, bro. And that one no. And people don't understand. Blanks ain't no easy golf course. Like it's not a golf course. You just go out there and you just mop up. Like, <laughs> bro, we had to play some golf. Like I, I remember vividly, like having to make sure, like I had to par my last three holes in my back nine to break seventy five. Like I've done that so many times, and I can, I remember so many scores around par out there like he just never really took it deep i never really saw a lot of people go out there and shoot 64s and 65s like it just didn't really so happen. with that with that said what's your what's your lower length that's a tough one bro i've shot 30 on that front nine i've stopped so i don't know i've i haven't played like a because dude like i'm gonna be honest like when you're growing up yeah, out there yeah. you you only go to the back nine if you're if you're gambling like you're only going to the gap like you're only going to the back nine if we're playing for yeah, money. the back and nine the, the back like, why, back why is that back then was crazy well the back nine you kind of so the front was kind of like everybody kind of see what's going on and everybody you see people from holes and you can see so you, you can hide you, you you get you get back by kingman lake and you can kind of yeah, no one's see what you're doing yeah, when somebody's starting to get when somebody's starting to get whooped up, you know, it's a little this saves the embarrassment a little bit. But that back nine, <laughs> it exposes it the back exposes nine will the game. Expose you. Like that's when Yeah, the back that's nine funny. is is you can go out there, dude. I know so many guys who can dink it around and shoot 37, 38 on the front at Langston. When you take them to that back nine, they'll throw up a quick 44. And that's when you, that's what you want. That's what you want to see out there. That's what I need. So, yeah, the only time I'm going to the back nine, I mean, I've probably, if I had to guess, though, I would say probably like maybe four under, five under. I haven't played a lot of 18 holes there, and when I have, I haven't played great. Yeah, I mean, I think but, I think the coolest thing was when we played, we played length, so, like, it was just a couple of days in the summer. And me, me and Marcus got out there early, and I think over the course of the three days, probably shot even one under, maybe two under one day. Right on the fourth day, we end up playing yeah. TPC Avenue, shoot sixty five. Right after he, that's <laughs> why that, it like yeah. it made me it made me feel good about myself because I, I watched him shoot sixty five at Avenue, but then he, we were you know he was barely breaking par at Langston. And I was like, okay, like Bro, Langston yeah. has, the, it, it, you know, you gotta you gotta hit your ball, at Langston, dude. But yeah, dude, it was, it was honestly, it's hard to, it's it's really kind of funny because like it was a hard golf course growing up, especially if you don't hit it far yet. Like I mean, I was 12, 13. I think I was, I, I didn't leave DC until I was fifteen. So growing up, I started hitting it a little bit further, and the golf course. Dude, it didn't get any easier. Like it wasn't getting any easier. I still, I still had to make the putts out there. It was just hard. And then you had a couple holes where it was hard to judge. Like four. I don't know if y'all know the par three. Dude, I, I mean, I can count how many times I've hit that. I've probably hit that green thirty percent of the time yeah. throughout my entire life. And I've hit great golf shots. I've hit great golf shots. <laughs> like, dude, it's just one of those. Like, it's just one of those golf courses. Like, certain things you're just not gonna. You just gotta, you just gotta accept it. It is what it is. I mean, man. I mean, four is such a small green, and like, 
Short, short, you 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 roll back. Long, you're on this downhill, and you got fescue behind it. Not much, but ten yards behind it to a downhill down and then downhill you, green. Yeah, yeah, dude. It was not. It's not a fun. I'm gonna tell you like this: It's not fun when you're stepping up to that tee box and you gotta make something happen, and you think you had a good shot, and this thing just flies back there on that hill, <laughs> and you're like, "Yep, good double." <laughs> yeah, if you're behind, just if, lost me. Yeah, if you're behind four, it gets it gets nasty. It gets nasty. Oh yeah, it's always wet in that little ravine. It's mud right there. There's no grass. Uh, God, that's 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 me on number ten. For me, number number ten is is just about the hardest hardest hole, <laughs> especially when you're you're teeing off left of the creek. Yeah, um, yeah. I've hit some drives I thought were good. You know, we're dead left. You know, even when I was sitting fine on my drive, you can't see the green. The green's the size of a postage stamp. It's blind. Yeah, you know, it's, and, it's, then, it's and hard. then yeah, the flat. And then the, the hunt for your golf ball. You're gonna say your golf ball if you push it right. That's that's the that's the yeah <laughs> right. And a, and a sea of range balls, right? The funniest part is how about like that flag that's up there? It's like supposed to be the direction of where the green is, and it literally changes depending on where you are in the fairway. Like I've tried to hit over that flag, and I've ended up almost on eleven two bucks. <laughs> you just that's never fun. know, dude. You got to know the greens. You got to know that place. It's it's fun though, dude. Like it was. It's honestly like even going back to it. I love going back and playing it because, like I said, it's not an easy golf course and. It's just a fun place to just go back and play, and I love it. It's it, it's home. It's always gonna be home. So another thing that I think you guys both have in common. When did, when did you get involved, Marcus, with the uh, with the first tee? Uh, so it was kind of the first tee happened early on. I think me and Lenar both started. Obviously, we were in different areas, but like we both started off pretty young i would say i started in the first tee around like seven or eight when i got to like 10 years old is when i started playing like i said on that capital area golf tour i've always had access to it because they used to practice at my dad's driving range in maryland in prince george's county so that was kind of the i was more in like that prince george's era where it was at like henson creek and it was at golfzilla and uh that's kind of where i kind of grew up doing the first tee so you said at your, your dad's driving range it's called golfzilla and you just, uh, my grandmother okay. used to live right across the street from there when it was still open. But uh, originally, it was owned by a guy named Mike Paul. He was a pretty good player. Um, I don't, I don't really know much about him. I just knew him because he used to let me hit golf balls down there all the time growing up. And uh, he ended up having to move to North Carolina <clears throat> for uh, some family things. And um, it was around the time where. A lot of stuff at Langston was starting to uh, die down, and you know things were changing a little bit around there. So it kind of was perfect timing, honestly. My dad ended up just telling him, being a good buddy, and just saying, "Hey, me and my brother will will run the place while you're gone." And uh, <clears throat> that's kind of how it all started. And it was right across the street from my grandmother's house. And at the time, I was living with my grandmother, so all I had to do was literally, as soon as I got off from school. I would have my school clothes on and I would either run over there across the street or I was, my dad picked me up and took me right over there and we'd be there all day. We had lights out there. So if I wanted to play golf at night, that's what I was doing. It was, it was just like a safe haven. It was like, 
I just went over there and I could hit off grass. I can do whatever I want. I can hit different shots. I can go out there and put buckets out there. I had a dog, so he would run out there and bring some of the golf balls back. It was just like a, it was really like kind of one of those places, dude, like you can't, you just couldn't make it up, bro. It was like heaven for me. Like, I mean, I remember, I remember those times so vividly. Like that was, for me, I just couldn't, it, it didn't get much better. Like what was your age range during that period? I want to say from about 11 to 14 or 10 to 14, somewhere around there. Maybe a little earlier. It's kind of hard to remember, honestly. But I got, I just, um, I know I was definitely pretty young, but I was getting coached and I was getting better. And I was definitely, uh, it was one of those times where I was really starting to develop like as a, as a, like as a player more than just like someone who can just swing. Like I was really trying to like, hit shots and I was trying to like I was watching videos and I was I was peak into mm-hmm. golf at that point like I was hitting a million golf balls a day like I was on a whole different it was like a kid the candy store like really bro it was crazy <laughs> so I mean it certainly worked I mean so if we get into your career a little bit so I mean just starting off you mentioned it earlier on your freshman year in high school you finish runner-up at the Maryland State High School Championship, which as a freshman is absolutely nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that, that that's impressive. And where did you go to high school? I went to North Point High School when I was up here. So I went there for okay. a year, and then I ended up moving to Atlanta after that. But I moved around a lot growing up. <laughs> and so how did you end up at, uh, at Middle Tennessee State? I won the Georgia State Junior my first summer that I moved to Georgia. So that kind of like put me on the map. Like that was like a welcome to, you know, welcome to college golf kind of thing. I, my first offer was from South Carolina. So like that was like, a, that was the first offer that I got. Uh, Bill McDonald came and watched me play my last nine holes at that Georgia State Junior. And he offered me the next day. And uh, I ended up talking to, um, I had a bunch of schools after that point, man, that I was in contact with, but it was just, it was one of those situations, right? Like, I didn't really know how that process worked because just a year ago, like like I said, I had no idea that I could even play golf in college. Like, I just, I had just played the state championship in high school and like, I was just like, oh, I mean, I'm pretty good. But then when I won this event and then I'm playing against, I'm looking at some of these names and these are guys who are ranked top 50 in the country at this time and we're in junior golf. It, now there's instead of it being 20 players in my class there's 110 players in my class so like now it's like i'm stepping into a different element where i'm playing against so many good players now you know and it's like it's it was just i was excited and i had the opportunity to showcase my talent and uh when i did i was fortunate to uh fortunate to do it at the right time i would imagine you know when especially when you get on the on the college level you're playing division one golf your peers that you're playing with, whether, you know, uh, on the other team or your teammates at, at Middle Tennessee State, um, were there many other folks that had backgrounds that, that were anything close to yours? No, not really. I mean, honestly, if you want to be honest, like, you definitely had some foreigners who had it hard. Like, you had some guys who couldn't really, like, I would say, like, guys who come from overseas, right? If you're not on your national team or if you're not, like, a really highly toted player, you probably don't really come from the best golf courses or you don't really come from like the best over there. I mean, most of the time, you know, they, they are, but sometimes they're not. I've definitely met a few. He literally grew up kind of the same way I did on municipal golf courses and practicing at a driving range. 
And then when I moved to Georgia is when I got the opportunity to play like good golf courses. And my first time mm-hmm. playing on Bermuda. And like that was like when I started to like develop and like learn about the game. And uh, yeah, going to college, it was definitely it definitely helped that I had already knew what it was like to grind on the golf aspect right but i just didn't understand the growing up part like being an adult Mm -hmm. like going to school and being in an area where you have no one here but you just at 18 years old and i'm in tennessee coming from washington dc and uh it was a culture shock for sure and uh i had to i had to learn a lot of things on my own pretty quick and uh i was fortunate to um to have some good teammates though like i mean i had some guys who were you know it was all it was different for everyone so it was really uh it was definitely cool to have some guys that i could grow up with so i think i think that's an interesting thing about about your story marcus is you go from langston which is predominantly black and you you know you say it's kind of like a home then you go to georgia then to middle tennessee i mean those are all completely different backgrounds right and I think what's cool about this, the APGA, and I think a lot what I see from a lot of you guys is that you guys, like, I think I saw, like, a, a clip of all you guys in the airport just hanging out. And it reminded me of, like, my HBCU college team. And it's, like, it's so cool to see you guys get that opportunity because so many of you guys that are good, you guys have to go to D1 schools, which are predominantly white, and you kind of, you're, you're in this culture shock. But now I think with the APGA, what I'm seeing and what's developing a lot of yeah. you guys is that you guys kind of get to play with other people that are like you, and then you guys all kind of share this common bond, and golf becomes fun. It doesn't become as much of a solo sport. Absolutely. Um, that's definitely been by far the best part about, like, this professional process is having friends and family who can travel with me and, like, makes it easier for sure. Um, also, though, like in college, like I said, for five years, you know, I was living on my own. You know, like I had to figure it out by myself. And like I said, it was a culture shock. So either way, I felt like, you know, I could adjust to the situation. But, um, dude, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. Trust me, it makes it a lot easier being able to travel with guys and see see the same people. And, you know, it's just a lot of us do come from similar backgrounds. Some of us don't. But, you know, just the fact that we're all trying to we're all working hard and trying to get to the same place. It, um, it's pretty special. Uh, speak, how about a, a local culture shock? Did I did I read that during those college years, um, in at least one of the summers, you, you came back here to D.C. And, and did some catting at Burning Tree? Yeah, dude. So, uh, oh man, my coach in college. I mean, that's got to be a culture shock from play, from as your home course <laughs> length and the, you know the Burning dude, Tree. That's quite different, dude. Funny story. My coach in college absolutely hated when I left when I left Tennessee. He would beg me to stay because every year I had the same pattern. I would come back in the fall. I would not be the best. I was working for three months. Like, and like, dude, at this point I'm carrying two bags. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm making good money. Like for a kid who's like me, dude, I'm I'm about to make $8,000 in the summer or somewhere around there. I'm like, dude, there's no way you're telling me to play golf right now. Like I can barely afford cook i can barely afford cookout in college when december comes around so like at this point like i need to i need to stack up as much money as i can so when i would the day the day we left ncaa's and as soon as we got done i got on the first flight back to maryland and i'm on burning tree the next morning 
caddying. And I would <laughs> I wouldn't wouldn't touch a club for three months. And then I would come back to school really? and start it all over. Yeah, dude. My coach hated it. He hated it, bro. It was awful. And then that was part of the reason why I never really got my ranking down until my senior year, because I'd never played summer golf. And then sure enough, the first summer that I decided to go play summer golf, I get into a car accident, can't play golf for eight months. So <laughs> it was like it, I never really got a chance to play in the Western Am, Northeast Am, none of that when I was supposed to because I was working. <laughs> wow. So what, I'm saying that again. What, what year were you in college when, when you had a car accident? Uh, it was 2018. So it was going into my senior year. I just had a kind of a freak accident happen. But, uh, yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to rehab my ass off and keep working. And sure enough, I came back in the spring didn't redshirt i just missed the entire fall and uh i won two events won my second tournament back and uh ended up winning conference player of the year and we won a conference championship so it was like i did all this right after taking seven months off i mean that you must have had a hell of a spring to win you won country conference player of the year the team wins the championship and you missed the entire fall one, fall season yeah, i won the puerto rico event that had 20 guys ranked inside the top 100 in the nation and then uh, one at Old Waverly, which was Mississippi State's event. And that event had guys like Will Gordon, uh, Patrick Martin, a bunch of good players in that field. Alex Smalley, I think, was out there. But it was just a bunch of good players that uh, it ended up helping me boost my ranking up. And it ended up being a good year. It ended up being a really good year. So, yeah. This is not some tiny conference. This is Conference USA. Yeah, Conference USA. La Tech, University of Alabama, Birmingham, uh, Marshall. Uh, Old Dominion, Southern Miss, uh, North Texas. North Texas, when I was in school, get a lot of good schools. There's three guys on North Texas right now. And even when at, even at UAB, there's three guys on North Texas right now who are either on Live or on PGA Tour who I played against. <laughs> so, where did that hunger to kind of just fight through all that come from? Like, what, what energy did you pull on? Where did you, what, was it just natural I love the game or what, like what, what was going through your mind at this time? Dude, it was family, just having people who believed in me, right? Like I felt like, you know, being in a place where it was just me, I was pretty lonely a lot. And I felt like, you know, if, if I didn't have the support system I had with friends and family, there was zero chance that I could have made it. There was zero chance that I would have made it being in Tennessee where I just felt like I was a unicorn. Like, I felt like I was stuck out like a sore thumb. I really didn't didn't know how I would fit in at first. And uh, as, I, as time went on, dude, I had my dad just to lean on him and just him kind of keep, keep plugging in my head that we have a dream and we have a goal that we're trying to reach. And, you know, every time I tell him, dude, I'm, I'm ready to come home, he hits me with the nope. It's a process. You, you write you right where you need to be. And it's just, it's, it's crazy looking back at it full circle, bro. It's like, he, he wasn't lying, you know? It was right where I needed to be. I needed to learn, I needed to do, I needed to be in an uncomfortable environment. Like I needed to be as uncomfortable as possible so I could learn everything I needed to learn and be the best person that I can be. And he knew that. So that's part of the reason why he he made me stay and, and do that. And, and so what, what, did, what did you learn? What did you learn from that, from that situation? Dude, it's just being more, being more intentional with how you do things, right? Like, you mm. know, you definitely mm. don't want to, uh, you don't, I think the biggest thing was having to be a leader for that team. 
because I went from quickest, like being the biggest kid on the team, 18, 19 years old, always trying to have fun and do stuff and being the kid that all the seniors are like, bro, can, do you ever just stop talking or do you ever chill out, you know? And it's like, I get, I get to 20, 20, 21 years old and now these guys are leaning on me to, uh, to help lead them to a championship, right? Like, I mean, we were the worst team in our conference that fall. And then when I came back, it was like, boom. It was like a spark, just something different happened, and we changed. And um, it, it taught me how to It taught me how to be disciplined. It taught me how to get better. It taught me how to use my days wisely and make sure that, you know, I'm getting the most out of my time here. That's what I think was the biggest thing for me. Can you share, because I think a lot of people be be curious, especially having, you know, coming back from missing eight months and and winning conference player of the year in such short notice, essentially. um, What what were the injuries sustained in in the car accident? So um, my car had spun after I hit a guardrail. My car had, my power steering had locked up. It was an older 2000 Honda Accord, so it was an older car. And um, I had hit a guardrail, spun out, and when I had spun out, I hit a wall just on my side, kind of square on. So it kind of messed my shoulder up pretty bad, and two, two of my ribs was pressed up against my T1 and T4 vertebrae, so right underneath my shoulder blade. And uh, so every time I would kind of rotate, I could feel the ribs pulling and pressing against it. And uh, it was one of those situations where I tried to play through it just because I was, you know, just me being me and me wanting to compete. And I tried to play that first tournament of the summer and I said, no, I can't even stand. And I couldn't walk. And um, I went back to school. They had no idea what, what it was at first. Like they were like, they were thinking it was just muscle spasms. Like, let's just work on it and we'll work it out. But it progressively got worse. It was just constant rehab for months and months and months, especially when I got back to school. And it's like, dude, it was like a fresh start, bro. Like when I got back in the ring and when I decided to play, I would just told myself, I'm not going to let my attitude, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of this, this last semester that I have at college golf. Because it was, you know, it goes by in a blink of an eye, bro. So you graduate college or you, you go through college and then you end up qualifying for the USAM. Can you t- walk us through that story? And, and you end up second day, correct me if I'm wrong, but second day low medalist at the USAM. So can you walk me through that experience? Yeah, dude. Um, so right out of school, I played in all those big events. So I was ranked, I want to say, 120th. I was ranked 120 in the world at this point. And uh, I'm playing in all these tournaments, Northeast, uh, Southern Am, South, I'm playing in the North and South. I played in the Western Am that year for the first time at Point of Woods. So it was just a, all in all, it was a great year, that 2019. So it was just like mm-hmm. icing on the cake after winning Conference Player of the Year. And it was kind of a situation, like, after – after I played, it was pretty hard to uh, to get sponsors, right? Like, that was the hardest thing was, was trying to go out here and, and raise the money to go play. And um, I kind of was in a situation where I was staying in AM. I was playing in all those tournaments for the rest of 2019. And then when 2020 hits, when I want to turn pro, I signed up for PJ Torquay at the Q School and um, COVID. So mm-hmm. it, was, uh, it was kind of a situation where I was stuck. Where it's like now I'm a kid who doesn't have a job, is not really looking to get a job, trying to play golf for a living, and now I can't. 
and now I have to figure out how to survive for these next year, mm. right? <laughs> it's like, and I, at this point, I'm sleeping on my, my brother's couch. Like, I don't have a house to stay at at this moment. Like, I'm working at a golf course to make some money on the side. So now it's kind of like, at this point, I had pretty much completely stopped playing golf because we couldn't mm. because of COVID and I didn't have the funds to and it was just I was in a situation where bro like for six months I was just trying to make ends meet I wasn't even thinking about golf I wasn't thinking about my career at that point it was like maybe somewhere down the line it'll happen again but right now like I need to make sure that my mom's okay my dad's okay I'm fresh out of school like all yeah. I know is I need to, I need to make some money and we're in a pandemic and I need to make sure that my family knows I'm okay so that was my whole situation that was my whole goal for that moment in time and uh, dude I remember I remember like it was yesterday this changed this email changed my life dude I was literally working bro I was helping out some friends down in Atlanta and I had worked hard enough I got me a little apartment down there and uh, dude it was I look at my email and it's from the USGA and they're like, Hey, um, just wanted to let you know, we're having the U S examiner this year. You're ranked 83rd in the world. And we would love for you to come. And I'm just like, bro, I haven't touched a club since the Western amateur last year. Bro. Like, it's been a, it's been a while. Like, and then I just, I get the email and I'm like, you know what, dude, this, this is my chance. And I had, I was saving up my money and I was like, look, I told my sister, my mom, I was like, look, I'm going back on the road. I'm going to play in all these amateur events. I don't care if I suck. I don't care what it is right now, but I'm going to get ready because when this U.S. amateur comes around, this is going to be my shot. This is what's going to help me play professional golf. And, uh, dude, I just, I, I locked in for three months. I didn't play the like, I'm going to be honest, dude. I really felt really good going into the USAM. I just got screwed with the tee times, right? Like, that first round, I was the second to last tee time off Bandon Trails. And this and, and this made the – yeah. So talk yeah, about dude, what like course it is. Like, and this and this was on – this was a big controversy, like, that hit the news. Like, how different the yeah, tee times yeah. were. Like, the morning tee <laughs> – correct me if I'm wrong. But the morning tee times, like, super wind, crazy course – or I'm, I think it was the morning tea times were fine, and then but the afternoon tea times were like crazy. So let me let me just say, let me just give you this stat. So all sixty four guys who who made it through in the U.S. Amateur that year all teed off in the morning. Okay, no none of them teed off in the afternoon. Although that first day, and forty four of them all played on dunes the first day. So. Dude, it's just like it was luck of the draw. It was literally if you teed off in the morning on dunes, you probably got into the U.S. Amateur. <laughs> like it was, and then, it was just that simple, bro. And then, and then walk us through that second day. Off yeah, at, yeah. You, you. Well, the first day we haven't even got to the one o'clock tee times, dude. I teed off at two ten, and when I made the turn and I'm on my thirteenth hole, we have winds blowing forty miles an hour, gusting up to sixty. I mean, there was nothing. There was nothing I can do. We had a rules official walking with us because our golf balls could not stay on the green. Like it was, you can't make it up. But yeah, dude, like it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, going back and then, I mean, I kind of got screwed. I shot eighty that first round with a five putt on my last hole. And I mean, it was just nothing I can do. And then that second round, I go out there and I'm like, bro, like we've got to do something. And I'm 
three under through three. I think I made the turn at like four under, and I ended up like hanging out around there. I think I shot 68, ended up having both medals for that day. But I was just trying to work my way back into it, bro. I really wanted to uh, – it was a big deal for me to try and play and then make it to match play. I felt like if I made it to match play, a lot of things could happen. I, I had pretty – I was pretty confident in how I could play and what I could do. And it was just kind of one of those things where I felt like if 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 everything goes how it's supposed to right now, this could change my life forever. And that's all I was thinking about for months before. And, yeah, I came up a little short, but what was awesome was they um, – the USGA had – when I did my application, they just asked me, you know, some things about me. And I kind of told them the story that I'm saying now. You know, I grew up – my dad grew up in Langston. My dad started a driving range and. You know, he didn't start it, but he took over this driving range, and that's kind of how what jump-started jump my love for the game and gave me the opportunity to get as good as I did. And, uh, dude, the USGA called me like two days later and said, hey, we want to we wanna do your story. And that's where that, you know, that story came out in the USGA about me and, you know, how me and my dad got started. And, bro, from that point on, I had got it reached out from an agent who my co my coach knew in college at UT, and um, they got me some sponsors, and that's how my career got started, bro. Like I was literally because of that one email from the USM is pretty much the reason why I'm playing professional golf to this day. I could well, still be well, sleeping on my so that, couch. <laughs> that's that's pretty wild. So that, I mean, that's summer of 2020. But so now, so now you've been a professional golfer. For, for over two years now, you've got by, by my count, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, I've got you at, at at three three wins. Is that accurate? Yes, sir. Three wins. Three wins. Congratulations. Two on the APGA tour. Uh, I want you to tell me. I wasn't familiar with the Rolling Red tour. Um, I saw I saw your Instagram post when you won, and I was like, awesome. So you have to tell us a little bit about that. But my my general overall question is, you've been on professional on professional golf for two years now, grinding. You know, wait, <clears throat> three wins is awesome in two years. But how how do you view your two years and your progress? Like, how is it going so far in your eyes? Uh, like the words you just used, it's just progress, right? Like, um, you can't really get too high or too low when it comes to winning out here on this level, right? All it is is just learning from it and understanding how you can get better every week. Yeah, you're going to – like that Rolling Red event was a – honestly, it was a good event because there were three guys there who – actually, there were six guys there who played in PGA events, three guys there who had Corn Ferry status of some sort. One of them played 20 events on the Corn Ferry Tour the year before. So, you know, it's just kind of uh, – it was kind of just in – I wanted to be somewhere where I'm playing a, a top-notch golf course where I would need to see myself playing consistent, good golf. And that's the thing. It's like it's not really always about the competition or the name of the tournament. The, the, the main goal is to play for a competition and assign your scorecard and play for a number. That's how you make sure that when it's your time and to get to that next level, you're ready. And um, – that's my. That's been my main goal. Is just getting reps, playing as much as I can, and uh, so when my when my name is called or I get that opportunity, I'm ready to go. Yeah, and market. So just to fill just to fill the listeners in, politics and pros is um, a fundraiser held by the first tee, and it's typically at I think it's either TPC or a nice course, but it's essentially it's the biggest fundraiser for the first tee. 
and for the last two years, um, Marcus has has donated his time to be one of the pros that you play with the with the with the pro am, and it's been a really great experience for the kids to see somebody who's from DC and get to get to play alongside them in the clinic, and then get to get to help out. A lot of how me and Marcus have grown close over the last two years is his involvement with the first tee. Um, Bond, he's come out with me for PGA Junior League, um, as well as a couple other events, and it's been great to see. So you have a passion for junior golf. Can you just talk to me about uh, how you see junior golf now and then how you want to give back to the game? Yeah, um, I definitely – It's a. Uh... It honestly goes without question my love for junior golf and watching kids grow and become better at what they're doing and what they're passionate about. You know, like that's that's something I've always been, I've always loved, right? Like I've always wanted to see people strive and do the best that they can coming from any environment, and that was and that's my biggest thing is just to be able to come back to where I'm from and you know a lot of people, I don't know, people see things differently. They say sometimes you know it's. It's cool to be back here every once in a while, but I love spending time with kids and I love coming home and, and showing them that, hey, dude, I'm on the road, I'm on the road, but when I come back, I'm a normal guy and you guys can talk to me, you guys can hit me up. Like, I mean, whatever. There's still a kid, Diego, who um, I'd still keep in touch with from the politics and pros this year. And uh, it's just one of those things, like anything that helps them and gives them the confidence that I was given, right? Like, we all know that we can do it, but it's so hard, bro. This game is so hard, and you beat yourself up so much over it. And the most important thing that I want kids to understand growing up is that, first and foremost, it's fun. And second and second of all, it takes you to places you could never dream of. And so I want them to think of those first two things before they kind of just get wrapped up in the competitive trying to beat everybody and you know, dude, it's just so much to golf, bro, that's just outside of what people see with the naked eye. And it's just hard to explain. And that's why I love being hands-on with kids. Like, I love being there and showing them, dude, I was this age when I started, too. This is what my swing looked like. This is what your swing could look like if you just take it day by day, right? And it's like, that's all we want, dude. Like, that's all we want to see. That's all we could ever ask for as adults. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what's to come for the greater first year Washington. So uh, we'll probably have to wrap this up here in a minute. This has been great. But why don't you tell us a little bit about, so you're calling in here from L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you were just talking, I actually just pulled up the, the APGA Tours Instagram page. And boom, there's a picture of you saying <laughs> uh, Marcus Bird was awarded as the winner of the APGA Farmers Insurance Fall Series standings. And I understand that means we might see you on, on TV at, at Torrey Pines in January. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I actually played in that event again. I actually played in that event last year, and that's kind of what, um, honestly, dude, that's kind of what got my name and face out there. Uh, during the tournament, they actually had live coverage of it on TV, and the first shot they showed was me hitting driver off the deck from, like, 295 on hole nine, and I ended up on the green. The main shot. Yeah. The main shot they showed. Yeah, bro, it was like, that was like the... That was so cool. And it was coming. This is the, the the couple days leading up to the PGA Tour event at Torrey Pines. What, so, what, like, what is the event? What do you tell us? So it's actually going on at the same time. So we play, oh, it is? Okay. Yeah, we play Saturday and Sunday, and their last day is on Saturday. It was this year. Well, their last day was on Saturday this year because of, I guess, Super Bowl Sunday or something like that. 
but they ended up putting us airing us on Sunday for that hour and we played the north course on Saturday because you know they played the south course the last two rounds so we played the north course on Saturday while they were on the south course and then we played the south course blind no practice round doubt and listen there's no gallery so all of the rough is trampled down and it's six inches seven inches long so if the ball goes in there there's a strong possibility it's going to be sitting down and covered in grass it was just freaking miserable. It was hard, bro. It was very hard, especially for me because I couldn't find a fairway to save my life. What did you learn from that experience? Oh, dude, it's not over. Like, that was one of those things that I was talking about earlier. It was just, it's, it's a process, bro. It's just about making progress, right? Like, I didn't have my best stuff that week by any means. Like I said, I just, I hit eight fairways, but somehow, some way, five, six holes left, I had a chance to win that golf tournament. Now, I didn't, I, I was kind of pressing. I didn't hit the shots that I wanted to. And, dude, stuff like that happens all the time, right? And at that point, I wasn't mature enough to really handle the situation. And uh, I wasn't mature enough to handle the situation and just man up and, and go to the next shot. I was still holding on to stuff. And, and that's what happens, right? You go out there and you lose when you can't control your emotions and you can't control your attitude. And uh, you can't stay in the moment and hit the right shot at the right time. You know, it, your mistakes compound. compound. So um, that was a really good lesson for me because I get to go back home. I get to cut on that recording and I got to watch what I did those last five holes. And I get to learn from it. And I get to say, I can't let this happen again. I'm not going to let it happen again. If, I, if that happens again, it's because... I played bad golf or I got beat. It wasn't because I let myself do it mentally. So that's the biggest thing I'll say I learned from, from that event for sure. Well, that's exciting. So we, we're going to see you on, uh, cause that was televised. I, I, I know I watched some of that on the golf mm-hmm. channel. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. we're going to get to see you competing that again in January. Well, fellas, this has been great. Lenard, thanks for thanks for joining as a as a co-host. This was fantastic. Marcus Bird, thank you for being the guest. Congratulations on all your success so far and and, and continued success. It's been great because you've got to be one of the, the 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 brightest success stories in golf that can say, "I learned how to play golf at Langston Golf Course," which is which is pretty damn cool. Yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me, and that's all I want. That's uh, that's what I'm fighting for. You know, is just to be able to tell my story and and let people who's coming from the same place and I'm coming from understand that it's possible. Just you put in the hard work and you get a good good support system around you. Anything is possible, and uh, that's what I'm here to. That's my job. That's what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm.